I've said it before numerous times to anyone that will listen. When my time on earth is up, whether next week or in 50 years, I want a Viking funeral. Lay me in a longboat, surround my body with all my favorite things, and then shove the boat off the shore. Wait a while, and then fire a flaming arrow at me. It will be majestic, I promise. It's how my Viking ancestors would have done it, and I think it's about time that we make dying cool again. I've learned in the last few days, however, that while a Hollywood-style Viking funeral looks wonderful, it's just fiction. Records on Viking funerals are hard to come by. In Norse mythology, boats were a symbol of safe passage into the afterlife. So when a high-ranking Viking bit the dust, it was possible that he, or sometimes she, would be buried with their boat. Viking grave mounds have been found surrounded by stones laid out in a pattern that resembles a boat's shape. One example of buried boats that we know to be true is the Osberg ship. The Osberg is probably one of the most well-preserved Viking artifacts in existence. The burial honored two women who most likely died in the early to mid-800s. The ship was 70 feet long and 17 feet wide. There were 15 oars on each side, a 30-foot mast, and it was big enough to fit 30 people. In reality, boats were expensive and time-consuming to build. So while those ladies may have been important enough to be buried in their own boat, if your name was Osmund and you were the village's sheep shearer, chances are there were no ships involved in your funeral. When most Vikings died, one of two things happened. You were either cremated upon a funeral pyre or buried. Vikings were typically pagan, and they believed that smoke from the fire carried the deceased into the afterlife. Viking women and children were often buried in shallow graves. Historians have also found groupings of burial mounds that hold multiple bodies each. These grave fields were early versions of cemeteries today. So my dream of a Viking funeral is not only misinformed, but it turns out, in the 21st century, fairly illegal. It seems that there are rules about these kinds of things. You can scatter the ashes in water, but it has to be at least three nautical miles from any shore. You can't just light a body on fire all willy-nilly whenever you choose, either. Science will tell you that to cremate a body, you need intense heat over the span of a couple of hours. It would be impossible to start a fire that gets hot enough on a boat in water. More than likely, I'd end up partially burned, the boat would sink, and then various parts of me would float ashore. No one wins in that scenario. For any family or friends that are listening, it's likely that you would be fined heavily and possibly prosecuted and imprisoned. Only if you're caught, though. So, maybe a Hollywood Viking funeral isn't possible, but let's take a look at some other interesting death ritual options from around the globe and throughout history. Episode 25, Afterlife of the Party. October always puts me in a spooky mood. I talked about my favorite scary thing, which is zombies, in a previous episode. So I thought we'd kick off this month's episodes by diving into death. Let's start with a more recent post-death trend that's become quite popular in Korea. Beads. Why put your loved one's ashes in a jar when you can have the remains turned into hundreds of tiny teal, pink, or black beads? In South Korea, they're quickly running out of room to bury their dead. To combat that, 
by Jia Yul, founder and CEO of the death bead company Bon Yang, will turn your loved one into a sack of beads for around $900. These beads are then kept on dishes, which seems risky, or inside of glass containers. At the turn of the century, South Korean officials passed a law requiring anyone burying their dead after the year 2000 to remove the grave 60 years after burial. What are you supposed to do with the contents of the grave? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in 2060. At the time the law was passed, roughly 6 out of 10 South Koreans were buried traditionally. In more recent years, that number has dropped down to 3 out of 10. Imagine your grandfather on his deathbed. After a few heartfelt words of wisdom, he reminds you with his dying breath that you need to remember to unbury Great Uncle Tom in a few years. Bai Jiayul feels that the beads offer warmth and are not creepy or scary. The idea of beating the dead has reached the states but hasn't yet taken hold. What is taking hold in the U.S. are burials that lean towards green. Being environmentally friendly is cool, and if you really want people to know that you're serious about helping Mother Earth, then maybe one of these options is the way to go. Skip the embalming process. Say no thank you to concrete vaults and fancy space-wasting caskets and become one with nature. You could place your loved one into a biodegradable woven willow casket, which will then completely decompose into the ground within a few years. Or, if you or your loved one fancy the sea as opposed to land, then consider becoming a memorial reef ball. There's a company called Eternal Reefs that will compress remains into a sphere that is then attached to a reef in the ocean. This helps provide a habitat for sea life. On their website, Eternal Reefs are described as part of a designed reef system created from individual reef balls made of environmentally safe marine-grade concrete that includes the cremated remains of a loved one and or pets. Eternal reefs quickly assimilate into the natural ocean environment and create new marine habitats for fish and other forms of sea life. Pricing begins at around $4,000 for a 600-pound reef ball. There's also a 5 grand version, as well as the Cadillac of reef balls, the $7,500 4,000-pound Mariner, which can hold four sets of remains. Despite my somewhat mocking tone, anything that helps our planet last longer is a good thing. One visit to the Green Burial Council's website will tell you that there's a large group of people actively seeking better alternatives to overcrowded cemeteries. While you're on the website, you can click into an interactive map and see if there are any environmentally friendly cemeteries or funeral homes in your area. Before we visit some other cultures and countries, let's discuss a popular ritual in New Orleans, the jazz funeral. I've never been to New Orleans, and while I'm sure I would love it with its ghosts and bars and music, I'm not sure my brain could handle it. A real jazz funeral is everything you would think it would be. Raucous, loud, and for at least half of it, fun. You've probably seen it played out in a movie or television show. Family and friends hire a jazz band. The band accompanies you to the site of the burial, playing somber music as you walk down the street. There's crying and hugging as the band plays mournful dirges. But once that body is underground, there's a noticeable shift to something more upbeat. It's a party, a celebration to commemorate the life of the deceased. As the hearse leaves and everyone says their final goodbyes, the body is said to be cut loose. The music picks up pace, family and friends dance to the music, and eventually onlookers join in on the celebration. 
The onlookers stay behind the band and are called the second line. You'll often see these folks twirling parasols and handkerchiefs in the air. As the 1900s rolled around, the tradition was shared across all ethnic boundaries in New Orleans. It was often referred to as a funeral with music. As World War I arrived, jazz music was becoming a bit more flamboyant, and white people suddenly considered the new, hotter jazz to be disrespectful. The 1960s saw a bit of relaxation amongst people, and it became more widespread again. Now, typically, the big, well-attended jazz funerals were done for musicians who'd passed. Although the majority of jazz funerals are for African-American musicians, there's been a new trend in which jazz funerals are given to young people who have died. Sticking with rituals that take place in the streets, there's a town in India that takes things a step further. While there is no jazz music, they will actually parade their deceased loved ones through the streets. The body is dressed in colors that represent the virtues that the deceased held in life. It's all done in an effort to help the departed soul reach salvation. When they get to their destination, the Ganges River, they sprinkle a little water on the body and then take it to the cremation grounds. The idea that heaven is above us is shared across many religions and cultures. In Mongolia and Tibet, there is a tradition amongst Buddhists known as sky burial. Buddhists believe in transmigration of spirits after death. Your soul moves on while your body becomes little more than an empty vessel. Sky burials have been going on for thousands of years. And it's said that about 80% of Tibetans still choose it today. So what does a sky burial entail, you ask? Well, let me tell you, you'll be glad you asked. The deceased body is chopped into pieces and placed on a mountaintop. On the mountaintop, it's exposed to the elements, including vultures and other hungry animals. I'm sure some of you are fairly grossed out at the moment. But by eliminating the vessel, the soul has a clear path to exit the tarmac and it also embraces the circle of life while providing sustenance to animals. Another ritual involving vultures and great heights comes to us from the ancient pre-Islamic religion known as Zoroastrianism. It's still being practiced in some regions of Iran, but is more commonly found in India these days. In the tradition of Zoroastrianism, a dead body is believed to defile everything it touches, including the ground and fire. So what did that leave them with? Well, the only option that made sense to them was to raise the corpse to the sky and let vultures do their thing. Urine from a bowl was used to clean the body. Then they would use special tools to cut away the clothing. Once the tools were used, they would be destroyed. The corpse was then placed atop a tower of silence, far above the living who wanted no part of being tainted by a corpse. Amongst the Aboriginal people who reside in Australia's Northern Territory, there's a wide array of different traditions that take place. Almost all of them, however, center on community. The oldest of these traditions involves first conducting a smoking ceremony in the loved one's home. This is one of the numerous things they did to drive out the spirit and send it on its way to the afterlife. The deceased's name is never said during this time, and any pictures of the deceased are put away. After the smoking ceremony, a feast is held, with mourners painted okra as they partake in food and dance. The body is then wrapped, covered with leaves, and taken to a platform to decompose. Once only the bones are left, they would take them and paint them with red okra. At that point, you had three options. You could bury the painted bones, place them in a significant location as a memorial, or just bring them along with you everywhere you go. 
Interesting side note, it's been reported that in some traditions, fluids from the platform can help identify the deceased killer. Moving from Australia to Africa now, we find the Malagasy people of Madagascar. They have perhaps one of the more well-known rituals called Famarihana. Famarihana translates to turning of the bones. The Malagasy believe that there are two classes in their society, the living and the ancestors. Dead bodies that haven't experienced a turning of the bones for the first time are said to not be part of either. Typically, the matriarch of the family will have a dream where the deceased loved one appears and lets them know they are cold and need new clothes. When that happens, either five or seven years after death, the family will hold a celebration for that person at the ancestral crypt. If you happen to be part of that Malagasy family, you would find your loved one wrapped in cloth within the tomb. You would remove the body feet first and carefully unwrap the body or what's left of it. Once exhumed, the remains are sprayed with wine or perfume and rewrapped in fresh silk shrouds. As a band plays, family members will dance with the body, pass on family news to the deceased, and ask for help and blessings. Sadness is not allowed, as it's time for remembering and celebrating. The process typically will end as the sun is setting, because Malagasy people fear that the night may bring negative energy and evil power. The body is led back into the crypt and then turned over. Family members will leave gifts of money and alcohol near the body and then shut the doors on the tomb until a new vision comes in five to seven more years. After the first turning, the Malagasy people believe that their deceased ancestors now serve as intermediaries between their god and the family, intervening with events on earth. They do not believe in heaven and hell. They do believe that your soul is stuck here in this life until the bones have completely decomposed. Once the remains are too few to rewrap, the deceased will then enter their second life, traveling 3,800 miles northwest from the island of Madagascar to Ghana. We find the home of custom fantasy coffins. In southern Ghana, the Ga people have been using elaborate coffins for funerals since the mid-1900s. The Ga believe that death is not the end of life and that life continues in the next world in the same way it did on Earth. They also believe that deceased ancestors are much more powerful in the afterlife than relatives who are still alive. To honor a deceased loved one in style helps guarantee that they'll be sympathetic towards the living. Fantasy coffins for an international client can cost between $5,000 and $15,000 and are typically only seen on the day of the burial. Normally, the coffin will symbolize what the deceased did as a profession in life. They may also be designed as animals, depending on what the clan totem is. For local clients, cheaper materials can be used and without a shipping fee will run around $1,000. Originally, these custom coffins were only used by chiefs and priests. But by the 1960s, it was open to anyone of status or riches. There aren't typically fantasy coffin showrooms. These coffins are produced only to order. One coffin could take anywhere between two to six weeks to complete. If someone is in urgent need, several carpenters may work together to expedite the process. A master craftsman, like 74-year-old Pa Joe, will normally employ a few apprentices, allowing the artist to make several coffins at the same time. Coffins for clients are made from the wood of the local Wawa tree and are handcrafted using simple tools without the aid of power tools. These fantasy coffins have become so intricate and so beautiful that they're considered works of art. Numerous museums around the globe order pieces for display. Craftsmen will normally make these from mahogany or another hardwood 
to safeguard against cracking or insect attacks. Many of the country's current top fantasy coffin makers were apprentices under Pa Joe. He still works today, although a majority of it is museum pieces or smaller, non-casket carvings done in the same style. You can find him on Instagram, and I'll post pictures of some of these fantasy coffins on my website, curator135.com. In the Tana Taraha Regency, in eastern Indonesia, families save up for long periods of time to raise money for their sometimes weeks-long funerals. At times, it can take years to attain the money needed. In that time, they consider the deceased to just be sick or asleep. They're kept in special rooms, symbolically fed, cared for, and taken out around town. They're treated as if they're still a member of the family. In 2008, in the Indonesian island of Bali, the head of the royal family was burned in one of the most lavish cremations to date. Volunteers, that numbered in the thousands, carried a giant bamboo platform, which contained a massive wooden bull and wooden dragon. When the procession stopped, they placed the woman inside of the bull and set it on fire. The dragon was there to stand witness. The Balinese believe that cremation releases a soul so that it may inhabit a new body. Releasing the soul is considered a sacred duty. Heading north from Indonesia, we come to our final stop, the Philippines. The Republic of the Philippines is a Southeast Asian country that consists of around 7,640 islands. With numerous ethnic groups, the Philippines is home to many unique funeral practices. The Benguet of Northwestern Philippines blindfold their dead for eight days and sit them in a chair outside the main entrance of their house. The deceased's arms and legs are tied together in a sitting position. On the eve of the burial, elders perform special rituals and chant the deceased's life story while smacking bamboo sticks together in order to send them to heaven. Tinguian folk dress their deceased bodies in their best clothes and sit them in a chair for several weeks. Typically, they light cigarettes and place them between their lips. Near Manila, the Cavanteño use trees for their burials. When someone becomes sick, they choose a tree to their liking. When they die, they are then entombed in the hollowed-out tree trunk. The Apayeo, who live in the north, wrap the deceased in a mat. After adding items that will help the deceased during their journey into the afterlife, any available immediate male family members carry the mat on their shoulders and place it in a grave underneath the kitchen of the deceased's home. Cebuano people recite the rosary for nine days. They'll also avoid sweeping the floor of the deceased's home. Relatives typically don't bathe or comb their hair as well during that period. Once the funeral service has begun, mourners are not allowed to shed tears onto the casket. Adults wear black and white, while children wear red so ghosts can't find them. When the service is done, attendees walk through smoke so spirits don't follow them home. In the Sagata region, caskets are often hung from mountain cliffs. They believe it brings the deceased closer to heaven. Also, elderly folk are encouraged to carve their own caskets while they wait to die. So there you have it, some of the most interesting death rituals around the globe. Reef balls and willow caskets don't seem so bizarre now. I can't pretend to understand what any of these cultures practice when a loved one dies, so I won't begin to judge it. Like any tradition or superstition or belief, what I find most fascinating, what I'm most curious about, is how do these things get started? If family and friends of mine can't pull off the Hollywood-style Viking funeral for me, I think I would be best served scattered in the wind. Seems like a peaceful way to head off into whatever the afterlife holds for me. How about you? How do you want to be celebrated or treated after death? 
Did I miss any interesting death rituals? Let me know. Stop by any of my social media pages or the website, Curator135.com. Don't forget to check out Curator 135's Scarefest playlist, available on iTunes. Nearly 150 songs and almost 9 hours of spooky soundtracks and horror-themed songs. There's also a bevy of new merchandise available in the shop section of the website. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. And also, 143.